0: 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 10 in just a moment. Take a few verses this morning. Here at Grace Community Church, we are taking just a small portion of a letter that was written in the first century. It's included in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's called 1 Peter. Taking a portion of it each Sunday as a sermon text, and we'll just do that, Lord willing, until we finish. Why? Because this letter called 1 Peter, is part of the inspired, God-given scriptures. It was written through a man. His name is Peter. There's history about him, and we can understand him. But these are God's words through Peter. That's what we mean when we say inspired. We say God moved upon a man named Peter. Peter. And gave Peter the words to write to us recorded in Scripture. That's why we take a portion of this letter and preach from it each week. Also, because we are believers in Jesus Christ. And so we, here today, are being addressed in a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. We, too, are the elect exiles. Chapter 1, verse 1. We are the sojourners. We are reading First Peter because God is speaking to us through this letter. It's telling us who we are as the people of God, how we're supposed to live as those sojourners in this world. We are experiencing the same trials, the same testings, the same sufferings, specific situations that these people faced in the first century. We do as well. So that's why we're taking up this letter. We're in the fourth week, and interestingly, we still have not, until today, we still have not come to a direct command. We'll get one today at the end, which is really a setup for next week. But we still haven't gotten a direct command because Peter is first writing and opening up about who God is and about what God has done to save us, about why God is to be blessed. Why do we say blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Why? Because of this great salvation of God's great mercies and the multiplied mercies that flow from it. So far in just a few verses, Peter has given us the basis of our joy. The reason that we can actually rejoice even though we are now being grieved. By various trials and the testings of our faith. He's been laying this out for us. And today is no exception. We're going to hear about the greatness of salvation that God brings to us in Christ. Now I want to be careful because I said so far we haven't had a command until today. But I don't want to say that Peter has just been laying out the mercies of God merely to get us prepared for the commands. Rather we should see that God's saving work is the point. God's grace and God's glory, God's glory by showing his grace to us, is the whole message. The commands, the holiness of life simply flow from that. Grace and glory of God touch us in the heart. Grace and glory touch us in the heart because it's from the heart that we live this is the message of salvation we're in such a rush to get to the doing that we often rush right past what God has done the grace not realizing that God's grace in salvation is the whole point so this morning before we get to the first command touch today pick it up next week Peter slows us down he grounds us in the reality of a great salvation Let's stand this morning and hear what he has to say. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you now have announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Three parts from this passage. First, why should we be concerned with such a great salvation? Second, what are the great things of this salvation? And third, this great salvation produces For us, a whole new life and a whole new way of living. Why should we be concerned about this great salvation? This is how Peter starts, verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation. Now, do you see what's happening? We left off last week in verses 8 and 9. And Peter said, That the outcome of our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ whom we have never seen, we don't see now, but we still love him, we still believe in him, and the outcome of this faith is salvation of our souls. And then he could have gone straight to verses 14 and 15 and started telling us what to do, like don't live by the passions of your flesh. Live in holiness, pursue holiness. And that would have been fine and good. It would have made perfect sense. But as we said, Peter slows down. He mentions salvation in verse 9. And then in verse 10, he wants to talk about it. Concerning this salvation, the things of Christ. He wants us to consider these things. He did this to root salvation in Christ. Christ's sufferings and glories, which we'll see. He wanted to get our eyes on Christ. He wanted to elevate the greatness of salvation that's in Christ. He wanted to do this before, during, and all the way through our obedience to Christ. The Christian faith is about Christ, the Christian faith is about grace. The Christian faith has a message, first and foremost, it's called the gospel. We're not like any other organization on the earth. We don't start with a list of rules. We enter a person, the person of Christ. This is what Peter is doing. He's slowing down to talk about the things of Christ. We should be concerned with salvation, always considering salvation, because the grace of God in Jesus Christ is the point. It's the point of the Christian faith. Here's the temptation we have in our trials and the testings of our faith that we experience in this life. We're tempted to neglect salvation for some form of self-generated, self-reliant scheme, a coping mechanism. Some people think that's what Christianity is. Some people even call it a manual to a better life. We're tempted to neglect the grace of God, to stop even talking about the sufferings and glories, the grace of Jesus Christ, for the sake of our own way of doing things. And then we call it Christian. In doing so, we just fail. We fail to draw our strength from the grace of Jesus Christ, and we keep trying to draw it from ourselves. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I am done with that. Empty of self. I have no resources. You don't either. To truly walk in the grace of God and the glory of Christ. Or we may be tempted to doubt our salvation. Many people are doubting that, that they're even a Christian. Why? Because their circumstances are so difficult that they think they must be doing something wrong. After all, isn't the essence of the Christian faith what I do, and if I do the right thing, it will pay off. If not tomorrow, certainly within a month. And then it doesn't. And so if it doesn't, you must be a failure. And so many people I've talked to, you know, maybe you, just doubt whether or not they're Christians at all because life is so hard. Failing to see the gospel and the things of salvation in Christ that Christ himself suffered on our behalf. Suffering for Christ, suffering in this world doesn't mean you don't have faith. It's an opportunity to walk by faith. Or we may think that salvation has no bearing at all on real life now. Because we fail to see the glories of Christ. Not only failing to see his sufferings on our behalf, but the glories of Christ that he has overcome this world. And so if we don't have a fixed gaze, if we don't have a firm grip on salvation, as he puts it here, this concerning this salvation, without a fixed gaze and a firm grip on salvation, on the grace of God in Christ then we who claim to be saved will carry on in life as if we're really not. With no reference point of God's grace in our trials and the testings of our faith. Peter says no to that. No. Slow down. Concerning this salvation is is almost his way of saying consider this salvation. And he's going to do it over and over. We're going to get to the portions, as I said, starting next week, we start getting to the portions of 1 Peter where he tells us things to do, ways to live. And every time he does it, he always draws back to the same thing, the grace of God in Christ, the sufferings and glories of Christ on our behalf. All the way through the letter, over and over again, he's going to bring us back to his grace. He's going to say, it's like he's saying to us, never, ever forget Never, ever go back to that self-reliant, works-reliant way of living, but always, always rely on Christ, always trusting Christ, always setting your hope fully on the grace of Christ that is to be revealed. This is why we have to consider salvation, because the grace of God in salvation is the point. And it's the source from which we live, all right? The second thing, salvation concerns great things. He wants us to consider salvation, and now he's telling us what salvation actually considers. What is a part of it? And he says two things, the sufferings and the glories of Christ. That is what we are to consider, the sufferings and the glories of Christ of Jesus Christ the prophets he said foretold this and the angels long to look into these things now Peter says a lot if you've noticed when I read it's like one long run-on sentence all the English teachers in here are wanting to put a period in there somewhere but he's he's giving us a layer upon layer with one central truth of salvation and that is the suffering and the glory of Christ verse 10 he says the prophets prophesied about this This is Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and he would be considered a prophet, even though he's not one of the prophetic books. This would be King David. The Psalms are also included in this because he says things that are prophetic. And it would also be the books of the Bible in the Old Testament that go by specific prophets' names. All of this together, the prophets prophesied. Verse 10, what did they prophesy about? They prophesied about God's grace. It says that. They prophesied of the grace that was to be yours. Verse 13, he returns to this grace. Grace here means that they prophesied about something that God would do himself. This is one of the most missed messages. It's so easy. We just have this natural bent toward looking for the things that we're supposed to do. Yes, there are commands in the Bible. They still hold true today. But what the prophets prophesied mostly, mainly, is the foundation of God's grace. And here it means what God himself would do on our behalf. We think grace just means cutting people slack. Our understanding of grace is God says, I have commands for you to do. You don't do them. Okay, I'll overlook it. That is not the grace of God. The grace of God is this. I have commands for you to do. You don't do them, and I'm not going to overlook it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it in my son. That is grace. That's the grace that the prophets prophesied about. They prophesied about something that God would give to us, not what we gained which is salvation all in Christ. The prophets were always pointing to God's grace in a Messiah, in his sufferings and in his glories. Verses 10 and 11, it says these prophets searched about these things. They inquired about these things. They wanted to know the person and the time that they themselves were speaking about and writing about. The language is interesting. Verses 10 and 11, it says the spirit of Christ was in them. This is the same Spirit called the Holy Spirit in verse 12. The Holy Spirit was indicating, the Spirit of Christ was indicating to the prophets, impressing upon their minds as they were in the service of God, impressing upon their minds that Christ, that a Messiah, that a chosen one would suffer and be glorified. The prophets did not know who the person would be. They knew a person was coming. They knew a Messiah was coming, a chosen one, but they didn't know who. The prophets didn't know the exact time. They knew it would be sometime, but they didn't know when because God withheld that information from them. But they knew enough to know that the grace of God and salvation was coming in time and in a person, and they knew enough to believe. They believed. God, And then, it says, they kept searching. They kept inquiring. They wanted to know. They read the previous prophets. They discussed as prophets. They prayed. They searched. And also, the Spirit of Christ revealed to them that their prophecies were about another time And about things that would be seen and proclaimed to another people, their prophecies, it was revealed to them, served other people. The prophecies weren't just for them, they were for other people. And what Peter is doing here is he is elevating the greatness of these things, this salvation, for a new people, a new covenant people, new believers, saying that what you now have proclaimed to you, the prophets longed to know, they wanted to know. But they were serving you. And now God is revealing it to you. Verse 12, this salvation is so great. This grace is so great that even the angels longed to look into these things. Just think about that. Just try to get your head around this language. The angels wanted to see these things that the prophets were talking about. Things that you and I now see. Could we, for just a moment, give angels human attributes of, of bodies? They don't have bodies like ours, but let's just for a moment, for purposes of illustration, the angels raised their heads. The prophets prophesied. They raised their head. They, they stretched their neck. They got up on their tiptoes. Opened their eyes wide. As if they were trying to look over a wall and see into a whole new realm, a whole realm of grace where God is doing something we can't do for ourselves, where God's going to give us something we can't gain ourselves. God's at work, in a, in a person, at a time, talking about sufferings and glories, and the angels are going, we wish we could understand this. Say, Why can't they? Because they aren't human. Because they, they aren't sinners like us. They don't know the grace of redemption like we do. They don't get to sing the songs like we do because they haven't experienced this. But they wanted to. They longed to look into this. Into what? What great things? What grace did the prophets prophesy, and the angels long to sing, to see? Verse eleven. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There are numerous places in the prophets, the whole Old Testament that we could turn to, to read prophecies about some of Christ's sufferings and some of Christ's glories. We, could, we can go, you know, you can start in Genesis 3. You can start in Genesis 3, third chapter of the Bible. And you can read about the sufferings that predicted, prophesied, not clearly. But you can see the sufferings and the glories of Christ in the third chapter of Jesus. You can read the history. You can read the Psalms. Go home and read Psalm 22. Just mark that down. Go read that. You'll, you'll see it. The books of the prophets that have the specific names. What we read this morning together was Isaiah 53. I hope you recognize that as Isaiah 53. The Isaiah prophecies were originally made toward, to the nation of Israel regarding her sin her idolatry regarding the punishment that God was going to bring upon them because of their turning their backs on God. But also, Isaiah was prophesying about the restoration. And he said the restoration would come through a servant, through a sufferer, a savior. This is the Messiah. And like Peter said here, a prophecy That was about a person and a time that Isaiah did not fully understand. He knew enough to know. When Isaiah wrote that whole book in Isaiah 53, he knew enough to know that God would send a suffering servant. But he didn't know the person. He didn't know the time. We're told that here. He knew enough to know that he was serving not only his generation, but also the generations to come in the future. And so, as Peter said here, it's a, it's a, the Isaiah 53 prophecy is also one that when he made it, the angels, the angels were on the edge of their seat, trying to understand it, trying to look into the mystery of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the mystery of Christ's suffering. Verse 11 of our text, the spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted indicating to the prophets when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the, su- and the subsequent glories. Isaiah 53 is the spirit of Christ. This is exactly the way this works. Isaiah 53, like all the Old Testament, is the spirit of Christ himself in Isaiah, indicating to Isaiah his own, Christ's own sufferings. And when he wrote that prophecy, not knowing the details, not understanding it fully, he knew he was serving another generation. The sufferings of Christ there. Jesus, Isaiah 53 tells us, grew up among his people. He lived on earth. Did you know that living on earth was a suffering for Jesus? It was a suffering. Because he lived in heaven before that. It's downgrade, you know. Heaven to earth. To come here was humiliation. It's part of his suffering, his life. While here, Jesus was not well thought of. Certainly his family liked him, but even they doubted him. People questioned his birth. They questioned the town he came from. They said his town was not a special town. They got mad because they saw his holiness. They were jealous of him. He was God in the flesh, but they treated him harshly he was Isaiah 53 says he was despised and he was rejected he was a man of sorrows a man of grief he was pierced you see we we know that from reading the gospels it, like the history had happened but Isaiah was prophesying about it. he was pierced he was crushed He was punished for our sin in our place. He was offered up as a guilt offering. It's like this. There's widespread guilt. Somebody's got to pay. This is what we do. Somebody's got to pay. Boom, we find somebody. Our Heavenly Father said, My creation has sinned against me. And the love of God and the love of the Father and Son together and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God came, sent by the Father, came willingly, and offered himself himself up as a guilt offering this is what isaiah says everything in isaiah is pointing to the sufferings the life and the death the cross of jesus christ all of this for us and the glories isaiah 53 actually talks about glory too jesus christ was raised from the dead he's alive he's living he redeemed the church he reigns as lord isaiah puts it this way He said that his days will be prolonged. His days are prolonged because he's alive. His days are forever. Isaiah said that in the hand of this one, God's will is accomplished. What was God's will? To redeem sinful people like you and me and to give us life and to bring us into the body of Christ, the body of the church, to bring glory to his name on this earth. This was accomplished through Jesus. The will of God was accomplished in his hands. This is a glory. And his offering, his, or his offspring, it says that this one, this, this servant, has offspring, meaning this one has his own people whom he has saved out of darkness into light. The glories of Christ. Jesus is Lord. That's what Isaiah 53 is saying. Salvation, grace is all about the sufferings and the glories of Christ, his life, his incarnation, his humility, his cross, his death, which was a sacrifice, a substitute, his resurrection, which is overcoming death and victory over death. His redemption, which accomplished the plan of God to raise up a people. Now he is reigning as Lord Lord now, and he will be revealed as Lord when he returns. That's all Isaiah 53. It's what Peter's talking. Back to Peter, verse 12 now these things he says have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven this is the time in history that we live we live in the time of history that the same these people in in, reading first Peter first century Christians post-resurrection post-ascension Jesus in heaven sent the Holy Spirit the church is growing that's 1 that's Peter, that's 2,000 years ago, and it's exactly the same time that we live in right now. We live in this age, and here's what's happening in this age right now. This gospel, this grace, these sufferings, these glories of Christ that the prophets prophesied and the angels wanted to see into are clearly being proclaimed right now to you and to me and to the nations. That's what Peter is saying. The Holy Spirit has come. Acts chapter 2. First through apostles and then through the preaching of others from Isaiah and other prophets. The person was made known. The person is made known. This is Jesus. He's the central point and moment of all of history. The time. The time is now. Christ came. He died. He rose again. This message. All throughout Asia Minor in the first century, all throughout Nashville today, all throughout the world today, what was prophesied and not fully known has been known fully in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We wonder today if this is our primary consideration. Are we concerned with this salvation? Peter wants us to be. He gives us a section concerning salvation. Do you you see this? Does it concern you? Are you concerned with it? Are you considering this great salvation? The book of Hebrews says, don't neglect this salvation. Do you believe this? Are you a Christian? I'm trusting today, believing today. We are praying today as this word is going out, as the gospel is being presented right now. The Lord is speaking to hearts and some who are not yet Christians are being drawn to Christ in this very moment to say, yes, I, I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I see Isaiah 53. I hear what Peter's saying. He suffered on my behalf. He took my place. He was raised for my life. Right now, I want to put my whole weight of my trust and hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Do that. Consider this great salvation. If you're a Christian, is this where you're resting your joy? How does any Christian live? How can we even live as Christians without a constant consideration of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It, it, would, be, it would be such a malnourished Christian life if we didn't recognize God's grace in Christ. It, it would quickly veer over into legalism we would quickly give up and say it doesn't work. It'd be all kinds of errors that we would fall into if we did not regularly consider, not regularly, like every day, like moment by, second by second, consider the greatness of God's salvation in Christ. That's why we preach it and teach it and discuss it and pray it and sing it, all about the cross and the resurrection, sufferings and glories of Christ, because it's this that concerns us. And then finally, the experience of this grace, the consideration of this salvation, actually does produce a life. It produces a life. It produces a new, a whole new way of living. Verse 13, again, this is just a setup for next week, but I'll start today, "Therefore." And you always know, when you see the word, therefore, you've heard, it, you've, heard it, you've heard it say it over and over. you know what you say, right? When you see it, therefore, you stop and ask, "What's it? Therefore." So why is this there? For what purpose is there for there? Because he is telling us, he is telling us that we must be rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. We must be rooted in, in the sufferings and glories. We must absolutely, totally trust in that to make us right with God. And that then touches the heart. And it's out of that that we live. He's saying, while now, while we're in these trials, while we're being grieved, while, while our faith is being tested, while we're waiting for the return of Christ and the full experience of that salvation, now, he says, prepare your minds for action. Now be sober-minded. Now rest the whole weight of your hope on Christ as obedient children. Now put to death the passions and lusts of the flesh. Now pursue holiness. Why? Because you are saved. Because you belong to God. Because Christ suffered for you. And he was raised for you. This is his suffering and his glory. This is the good news that is preached to you. Now you are his. Considering salvation, I'll close with this. Why is it important for us? Because it touches our hearts. And we live from new hearts. We live from from transformed hearts considering salvation the grace of God the sufferings and glories of Christ is the beginning the starting point of every goodness that we might do and any good any obedience that comes from us flows out of the power of the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts salvation touches the heart and out of the heart we live I was with, in an elders meeting last Thursday and at one point, we, we went around the room and just said, what, what do you hope for Grace Community Church? What do you hope for Grace Community Church? And, and every, everyone in the room said something that they hoped for, about Grace Community Church. And what was so interesting to me about every one of the responses is that not one of them had to do with an organizational matter, which is important. And that's a lot of why we meet. But when we said, what do you hope for Grace? They were all about things of spiritual nature, relational nature, heart nat- nature, like love, someone said, "I want to, let, let us return to our first love." like joy, like faithfulness, like mission. these were the things that we, that we were longing for our congregation, and as I reflected on that, I thought, every one of them has to do with our hearts. Every one of them can only happen by the power of God in our hearts. And that comes as we consider this great salvation. If we consider constantly, regularly, the love of God in Christ, the grace that is to be revealed to us at at, at Christ's return, and the grace that we have now through the sufferings and glories of Christ, if we are constantly there, it will certainly increase our praise. The Bible says it will. It, it will certainly be a ballast for us when the circumstances of life want to toss us here and there and we like are on an emotional roller coaster. We come back to right here, the sufferings and glories of Christ by which we are saved. It's a ballast for us. Meditating here and considering, as, as Peter is telling us to do here, it keeps us out of legalism, which is so defeating. Defeating people are giving up all over because they can't seem to get it right according to somebody else's standards it might be a private morality it might be some group that you're supposed to belong to and God says none of that matters it's grace from start to finish and that reality keeps us grounded and then it motivates genuine obedience we're not afraid to talk about obedience we're not afraid to talk about holiness we're Man, next week, read ahead. But only as it comes out of a life transformed by the grace of God. And rooting ourselves here prevents bitterness and unforgiveness toward other people. Forgive as you have been forgiven, the Bible says. It makes us quick to confess our sin because we know God's grace. It gives us a true and fundamental identity. We are and simple the body of Christ our identity is simple and secure by the way children of God and the body of Christ that's the gospel it promotes the good use of time and energy and resources. It shapes our words. It moves us outward to the world and evangelism and mission and mercy. It helps us suffer with joy and hope. It keeps us anticipating the grace that we brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of this rooted in that one little simple phrase concerning this salvation. I hope you will consider salvation. I hope your heart is moved to become a Christian. And if you're a Christian, to drink deep from the cup of salvation and raise it high and say yes to God, yes to grace, yes to Christ. Father, let it be for us. We pray now, Lord, as we come to the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord, it's, it speaks of grace. It speaks of a suffering servant and a glorified servant who died and rose again. So use it now, these emblems of grace, to remind us and to give us a means to proclaim you until you return again. In Christ's name we pray, amen.